When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel isn't here today, but he'll be back shortly. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Thank you so much for tuning in, fellow conspiracy realist. Today's episode is uh, is a bit of a retrospective, but it involves a bit of the, the future as well. Uh, and this episode may be divisive to some of our listeners. Uh, we always hope our episodes are divisive. That means we're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ultimately, this episode is a, the it's about the line between uh, freedom and wealth. What that means is freedom wealth, is wealth freedom. What are we all struggling to, to do here with our jobs and trying to prosper? Like, what's the end goal? So... 
as we as we explore today's strange tale, as we dig through the rabbit hole, peel back layers of the figurative onion, we'd like to hear from you. As longtime listeners know, you do not have to wait till the end of the episode to let us know your thoughts. If the spirit so moves you, you can pause and call us directly. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. So keep that in mind. Uh, and there, there may be some things that feel a little bit high level uh, because we are exploring the life and times and the long shadow of a man named David Koch, K-O-C-H. Who is David Koch? Great question. Here are the facts. David Hamilton Koch was born on May 3rd in Wichita, Kansas in 1940. His dad, Fred Koch, Fred C. Koch was a chemical engineer, and his paternal grandfather, a fellow named Harry Koch, was a Dutch immigrant. He was a newspaper man. He was one of the founding shareholders of a railway interest. Now, David Hamilton Koch was the third of four sons. He had two older brothers, Charles Koch and Frederick Koch. And then he had a fourth brother. This is an interesting story. He had a fourth brother named Bill. Bill is technically the youngest of the four Koch boys. Uh, He was born 19 minutes after David. Yes, they're twins. That's right. Um, And then we just kind of continue following David's life as he attended Deerfield Academy. This is in Massachusetts. It's a a prep school. Uh, It's it's a very nice place. has a very good reputation. Right. Deerfield Academy is a gathering place for quite a few influential people or the children of influential people who will go on to inherit their parents' position. People like King Abdullah II, Al-Hussein of Jordan, uh, Rockefellers go there, and of course, Cokes go there. There you go. And uh, another place that uh, highly influential people go is where David ended up next. He went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and there he earned a Bachelor's of Arts and Sciences. Then he went on to earn a Master's of Science. In chemical engineering, both of those uh, he was – he's a tall guy. He was a tall guy, about uh, six and a half feet tall. And he was known for uh, being pretty good at basketball during his time. He averaged 21 points per game over the course of three years. I'm throwing in this fact to humanize him a little bit. So now with that – Yeah, just, he liked basketball and he that, was pretty good. Yeah, just him as a person. Let's talk about his career. Coke joined Coke Industries, the family business – working for his older brother, Charles. David started out as a technical services manager. And nine years later, 1979, he becomes the president of the company's engineering division and it's renamed Chemical Technology Group. All the while, ever since the death of the patriarch, Fred Seacoke, there's been growing tension between the four brothers. This came to a head in June of 1983 when Frederick and Bill, the younger twin and the older brother, uh, when their shares of the company were bought out for $1.1 billion. And this bitter feud has a lot of stuff going on. Like they didn't speak for years after the conclusion of this stuff. Uh, The family felt betrayed by Bill who essentially blew the whistle on some – 
sketchy behavior by Coke Industries and Native American land. And Bill is the youngest of the two twins, David and Bill. 19 minutes younger. And all three of them attempted to blackmail their brother Frederick based on what they suspected about his sexual orientation. Wow. Yeah. So the, the money changed the family dynamics. Anyway, without going too far into the the Shakespearean tension between the siblings, long story short, by 2010, David and Charles Koch controlled the company. Each of them owned 42% of Koch Industries. Wow, that's really high. That's a high number in uh, something as high stakes as Koch Industries. Um, and then on June 5th, 2018, we're jumping – quite a bit ahead here. But uh, David Koch announced he was going to retire from that from his position within the company. Um, but he was he would end up staying on a little bit as like kind of a from 2018 well into 2019 as kind of a ceremonial position within the company. Sure. But he was officially stepping down due to health concerns because uh, he he had cancer. That's correct. Yes, David Koch was diagnosed with prostate cancer way back in 1992. Like anyone who is diagnosed with something as terrible as prostate cancer, he definitely has the motivation to pursue every possible avenue of treatment. Unlike many people diagnosed with prostate cancer, he also has the means to pursue these treatments. He goes through Uh, chemotherapy, he goes through radiation treatments, he gets surgery. This all fails to completely eliminate the cancer and it keeps returning. And so it comes to pass that after a long battle with prostate cancer, David Koch passes away in New York on uh, Southampton, New York on August 23rd of 2019. He's 79 years old. And according to the official statements of his loved ones, his relatives, and the press, uh, there is no definitive cause of death that was cited yet. But, you know, most people are reasonably assuming or speculating that this was somehow related to his ongoing cancer battle. Sure. At this level of wealth, the Coke estate, just David Koch's part of it, can function in many ways as though the person who helmed it is still very much alive. The institutions and systems that David Koch helped create didn't pass away when he passed away. But what sort of systems did he create? How much money are we talking? Let's take a break for a word from our sponsor and assuming that Coke Industries doesn't buy us in the next, uh, in the next few minutes – Let's continue to explore the story. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424. 
888-324-2424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. And we're back. And we are also now owned by Coke Industries. Who are also owned by Illumination Global Unlimited. So we're straight. Everything's fine. We're back in the family. But what is Coke Industries? This is how we – this is the best way for us to answer the questions about wealth. Here's the gist. The thing we call Coke Industries today began way back in 1940 as the Wood River Oil and Refining Company. This was co-founded by Fred C. Coke. In 1967, in honor of Fred Coke, it was renamed Coke Industries. Since then, that's been the shorthand uh, way to refer to this enormous conglomerate. And when we say enormous conglomerate, uh, we're talking about a disquieting number of things. Yeah. Yeah. According to the Securities and Exchange Commission, Coke Industries is what you would call a private conglomerate. They've got uh, all kinds of different things, uh, companies that they uh, control, and uh, everything from petroleum and chemicals, the production of that, and the, dis the distribution of those chemicals through pipelines, 
There's some ranching going involved. There's some chemical uh, chemical tech occurring here. There's all kinds of commodity training, minerals. How do you get them? Where do you find them? What do you do with those minerals? Uh, capital markets and fibers. Fibers are in everything, you guys. Uh, financial services. You got paper, the pulp that you need to build the paper, as well as business development, which is – interesting in its own right because mm-hmm. that's how you get a lot of the other companies to become or come to fruition. Right, exactly. Today, Coke Industries is the second largest private company in the United States. What's number one, you may ask? It's a company called Cargill, which we can save for a different episode. Coke Industries has an annual revenue of $110 billion. Wow. And it, it has around 120,000 employees. So two things about those numbers, uh, that $110 billion is, indicates a growth trend because in 2016, it was $100 billion. So they went up by $10 bill. Uh, and those 120 employees, uh, those that number may not factor in contractors, freelancers, so on. So depending on how we define employee, that number could be a little bit higher. It's also active in 60 countries, which means that it is probably selling something to you. You have almost certainly bought or used a product created by Coke Industries because in short, they sell a ton of stuff. Oh, you've certainly encountered them. I remember – Ages ago, when we were doing this show, we did a a checkup to see what Coke Industries owned, and we listed off some things, including things like if you're just walking through a grocery store, let's say if you're in the United States or maybe in another country, you you may see things like Quilted Northern or Soft and Gentle or Brawny, maybe Angel Soft. Mm, sparkle? Do any of those catch catch your ear? Because it's probably a, a paper product that you use to clean something Ooh. or wipe your hands on. Uh, there's a lot of those. Mardi Gras is another one. Dixie, mm-hmm. as in cups from Dixie. They also own Georgia Pacific, which is the largest manufacturer of plywood and corrugated boxes and containers in the U.S. Uh, they uh, produce all sorts of Textiles and plastics, they're the world's largest producer of lycra. They produce Stainmaster, SolarMax, all a poly shield, OxyClear. They make uh, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, asphalt, fracking chemicals, ethylene. I'd just like to point out here that they own a lot of the raw materials that end up becoming a lot of the other products. That's kind of what Coke Industries does here. If, when you're talking about, you know, uh, getting crude oil to then process for a whole bunch of different kinds of textiles and plastics, right? Or you're talking about Georgia Pacific getting all the wood that you need to create all of the other pro- paper products and other things like that. Um, it's it's smart business, I guess, like essentially controlling um, controlling the the processes which you need to make an an end thing, right? Yeah, owning an end the product. means of production. Yeah, owning. Thanks. Thank <laughs> owning the means of production. They own the means of production. Yes, got it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it you can really see it illustrated here. And it's no secret that after a certain threshold of scale, whether we're talking. Uh, or th- whether we're talking fame, infamy, or just finance, right? Uh, after this certain threshold, any entity becomes inherently controversial. So it's it's true. 
right? It, it follows logically that Koch Industries has had a troubled legal history. Congressional investigations, DOJ consent decrees, civil lawsuits, felony convictions, and so on. One of the biggest controversies that's getting a lot of attention now, uh, especially from politicians on the left side of U.S. politics, uh, will be the active role that Coke Industries plays in pollution and climate change denial. Yeah. Again, like you said, Matt, what's good for business versus what's bad for business? Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, there's there are so many profits to protect for the people that run this massive industry, mm-hmm. or it's not even industry, it's the conglomerate. Um, there's so many moving parts. You you have to, or you're at least incentivized to deregulate as much as you possibly can and do what you have to do to make sure that those profits go up by 3% each year. Uh, but they've had, you know, as part of their legal troubles in the past, if you go back to 1988, you get a really interesting look into a specific thing that they were uh, accused of doing and then found out that they were doing, where they were apparently stealing oil from uh, Native American reservations within the United States. Yeah, yeah. This comes from an excellent book called Cokeland by an author named Christopher Leonard in which he traces the twist and turns of this nefarious tale. So – As you said, this stuff hits the fan in 1988, in November, and it's the result of an investigation that was launched in October of 1987 by the Senate Select Committee on Indian Affairs. They were inspired by a series of articles in the paper, The Arizona Republic, that said, hey, big oil is stealing oil from Native Americans who own these various oil wells. Here's how the scam worked. Companies would pick up crude oil from the wells. And they would take it to the quote-unquote marketplace. But when they did this, they falsified their receipts, their invoices to make it look like they had, A, picked up less oil than they actually did. So they were getting a VIG. They were skimming off the top. Or B, that the oil was of a lower quality than it actually was. Therefore, worth uh, less on the marketplace. Therefore, we're paying less. Wow. Look at that. And throughout this whole controversy, because it was a controversy for, for the Cokes and for Coke Industries, uh, this is when David really becomes – and the Koch brothers, I guess, as a whole or as a duo, uh, it gets them enmeshed within the politics, the like forward-facing politics. Right. This is a big stage for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the company later admits in court that it collects about $10 million worth of crude oil each year without paying for it over the course of this scam. And this is just one illustration of what what big businesses do. It's important to say that Coke Industries is by no means unique in this sort of thing. And that's why countries and state actors have – legislative mechanisms in place that are in theory meant to prevent these kind of shenanigans. But despite the ongoing controversies, this family business made David Koch an even wealthier man. And we have some we have some stats about his uh <laughs> about his his position in financial society at the time of his passing. Yes. Uh, according to Forbes, he was number eleven 
on the list of wealthiest men on the planet. Uh, He had a total asset amount of $42.2 billion, again, according to Forbes. uh, And he had an estimated net worth of $50.5 billion. And let's pause here for a second, Matt, because that is a huge number. Yeah. We're throwing a lot of huge numbers out here, and that makes it a very easy number to glide over without fully understanding or grokking it. There's a guy named Sam Parr writing for a website called The Hustle, and he did a great walkthrough. Uh, I've, I've combined a couple of different things here to make it – to help us g- imagine just $1 billion in our head. All right? Let's start with a $100 bill. Pretty cool, right? Imagine it's a crisp new one straight from the mint. Love it. Now stack 100 of those together. This makes a stack about an inch high. That's $10,000. And – When you look at it, it's just a stack. It's not that impressive. If you add enough stacks together, you'll get a million dollars. Also, weirdly enough, not as impressive as it may seem in film because when you stack it that way, when you add it up that way, it's not enough to fill up an average briefcase. I mean like a carry-on for a plane. It's still a lot of money, and a billion is much different. A billion gets us into uh, the, the realm of imaginary scenarios, right? So let's say you save $100 a day. That's awesome. Great job. Doing that, it will take you 10 million days, around a little over 27,000 years, to save up $1 billion. Wow. And well, also if you try and visualize, I remember seeing videos with this before where you try and visualize what a billion dollars looks like. So if you were going to do that, if you were going to look at it, it would be a four square mile area or uh, what would be the equivalent of 2,555 acres uh, of just money. <laughs> yeah, if you put – if you took that billion and made it $1 bills, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you would also have more money than several entire countries. You would be – you know, you would have more than their GDP, for instance. Yeah. Oh, but let's talk about what you can buy with yeah. a billion bucks. Okay, yeah. With uh, just $1 billion uh, per the AJC, you can buy 6.7 F-35A fighter jets. Oh, yeah. You can also, if you bargain a little bit, get in, into sports. Oh, yeah. You can get an NFL team for a billion bucks. Oh, for sure. You could almost, almost buy, let's say, I don't know, a palace. Yeah, Buckingham Palace is just $1.4 billion after all. These are all crazy things to buy, right? So that's a billion dollars. David Koch, as an individual, as one guy, directly controlled enough wealth to do this 50 times over. Yeah. And remember, that's assets and money, you know, cash money, accounts, all those things. It's all of it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And property in particular becomes very important. So what to do with all this scratch, all this cheddar, all these gains? This real superpower. Mm -hmm. This genuine superpower, this very real version of time travel, uh, which is a nice, nice Easter egg there for some of our longtime listeners. Well done, Matt. David Koch was a man of principle, as he saw it, and he his most well-known spending fits into two broad categories. First, philanthropy, and second, politics. In terms of philanthropy, uh, we see a, I guess, well, in, 
yeah, well-intentioned, but imperfect person. He's been on the Chronicle of Philanthropy's list of the world's top 50 philanthropists consistently since 2006. In a 2013 interview with the Wall Street Journal, he called himself a sugar daddy for charity. His words, not ours. Uh, He said he had a moral obligation to help. He said he preferred to donate his money to outstanding institutions rather than use it on buying a bigger house or a $150 million painting. That, again, is a direct quote from him. I get it. That feels like the right thing to do. Uh, He conducted most of his visible philanthropy through his foundation named the David H. Koch Charitable Foundation. Uh, they save the money on creative names and pass those savings to you, I guess. You've probably heard that mentioned a couple of times in passing from, you know, this is brought to you in thanks, uh, thanks to in part by mm-hmm. that foundation. And they're doing good work. They're, they're, giving, uh, they're giving to institutions and causes that are making pioneering breakthroughs, especially in the medical space. Yes, and sometimes it is difficult to square these things when, depending on what you think about David Koch or the Koch brothers, mm-hmm. um, knowing that this is a real side of him and his spending and his wealth and his family's wealth, um, this charitable side. It is real and it's you can't deny it. Well, I have some – I don't want to call them hot takes, but I have some observations on that. We'll, we'll get to them in a second, right? It's uh, You're right, Matt. Objectively not bad. So he gave – over a billion dollars to charity throughout his life. Uh, so over or right around one-fiftieth of his assets. Uh, he donated to things like the Lincoln Center, the American Museum of Natural History. Uh, in, in terms of medical causes, he started the Koch Institute for Integrative Cancer Research at MIT, New York Presbyterian Hospital, MD Anderson Cancer Center, Johns Hopkins, Stanford University Hospital, Mount Sinai, the Hospital for Special Surgery. Good stuff. Great stuff. Saved lives, right? Yeah. Inarguably. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing that some of his critics will point out and that I have to admit has some sand. Uh, people who People who argue that Coke Industries business practices have raised the rates of cancer – in their communities, right, people who have never smoked, never drank, getting lung cancer, left and right, they say, you know, why is – if this guy really wants to fight cancer, why doesn't he change what his company is doing? Why is he, why is he donating after the fact? You know what I mean? That's quite a good point. I was I, – I thought it was – I thought it was a good point. Additionally, he cites a close call he had, an aircraft accident – uh, with inspiring him to become a philanthropist. But also, if you look at the specific uh, acts of philanthropy that he's responsible for, a lot of them do center on cancer. And uh, again, he was diagnosed in 1992. He certainly has a, a personal reason to be very interested in that. Mm, a personal identification with it. So again, objectively, inarguably, good things, but you can see why people would criticize even that part of this person's life. And that's not even talking about the other huge category of donations for the Coke Industries, for David Coke himself, for his brother as well, and all their related uh, name brands, and that is the realm of politics. 
And we're going to get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So politics, right? Yeah. You uh, you become a billionaire and two things happen. Uh, people keep trying to draw you into politics, right? And you are, as we said, inherently going to be a controversial figure to some. That is literally the most fair way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> In, on the bottom of that spectrum is you're going to get frequent calls when there's an election coming up. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so David Koch did become involved in politics 
In fact, he ran for vice president once back in 1980. He did not run on the GOP ticket. He did not run on the Democratic ticket. He ran as a libertarian along with the presidential candidate, Ed Clark. So they had a very – I would say nowadays for most people who are familiar with the concept of libertarianism, they had – they had a pretty much by the book libertarian platform. Let's get rid of minimum wage laws. Let's get rid of corporate taxes, agricultural subsidies. Uh, let's give the Fed the boot, a cavalcade of federal agencies. Interestingly enough, the FBI and the CIA were on that list, and I thought, wow, you guys, yeah. you guys are not going to win this election. Uh, <laughs> we don't want any policing either here or abroad. Right. They also uh, they also wanted to get rid of Social Security, but – and some of our fellow listeners are already well aware of this. Uh, the ticket had some things that could be seen as surprisingly socially progressive, especially for that time and, and era. Yeah, specifically if they were seeking equal rights for the LGBTQIA uh, group. Uh, they wouldn't have referred to it as that in, no. in 1980. Uh, but yes, they were looking for equal rights for all people. They wanted to end the drug war, which, you know, is if anything is progressive, that feels like one of the top things. Mm. Um, and and especially you have to remember that if you're thinking about a conservative person or group of people with so much wealth, you don't imagine that those two things would exist on a ticket. Or, or as policies on a ticket. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because it is, it is surprisingly progressive or appears to be so if you just look at that one facet of it. But things like cutting a ton of federal agencies, that's a harder pill for a lot of people to swallow. But, and, but it's, one of those, it's one of those things that sticks out – in some of our minds so strongly that maybe we don't even think about the other things. We just know, oh, those those guys represent this one thing that I really like, but mm-hmm. all the rest I'm not even going to pay attention to. Right, yeah, the danger of single-issue voting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it didn't work out. They did not win. Uh, they were positive in terms of uh, their surprise at just how much of the vote they did get which was small but measurable. One percent, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, hey, that's actually pretty great. But not winning that election did not spell the end of political involvement for David Koch. Quite the opposite. You see, he and his brother Charles had already been active in politics behind the scenes for for a long time. Uh, And they escalated their operations over the following decades because they had been working on this kind of stuff since the 70s. Koch's political spending, both through his institutions and his donations, was nothing if not thematically consistent. It was very much in line with his deeply held libertarian beliefs. As far as we know, in in the money that we can trace, which which is a pretty small slice of the pie, the tip of the uh, financial iceberg here, the Kochs have collectively spent at least $100 million building this massive political machine, sometimes called the Kochtopus – Wow. If you heard that one. I have seen that in a few places. Um, This machine is meant to bring mainstream U.S. and maybe over a larger swath of the mainstream West in general, uh, much more in line with their own right-leaning libertarian beliefs. Critics have accused the Kochs of buying influence. 
that part is true. That is how lobbying works. Lobbying is illegal in this country. Yeah, especially the kind of lobbying that the Koch brothers and several other groups of billionaires and mm-hmm. people representing billions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, put through as law. Right, exactly. Uh, shout out to Alec. Yeah, shout out to Citizens United. Mm-hmm. So critics have also said that the Kochs are using this political machine they built to manipulate elections and government policies, like you pointed out, Matt, under the the cover of vague and nice-sounding words like liberty, freedom, patriotism, to supporters of one or more of these endeavors, this is in line with uh, their own ideological beliefs. To critics, this is a shell game with the ultimate end being something very much like neo-feudalism. There is not a state that functions the way that states are supposed to function in democracies or representative democracies, etc. But what is this machine exactly? Is this business as usual or is this a vast conspiracy? And perhaps most importantly, what happens to the engine once the driver has passed away? Here's where it gets crazy. It gets handed down to the next in line in succession, just like that TV show on what, HBO. What's is the TV show Secession? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's. I'm being facetious. Let's let's get into no, it. No, I think you're absolutely right. Actually, we both know you're absolutely <laughs> right. So, yes, there is a conspiracy afoot. The issue here is that people will maybe disagree with the characterization. Of, of the conspiracy or focus on smaller parts of the whole. Probably the best or most well-known of the Koch critics is the investigative journalist and author Jane Mayer. In her book, Dark Money, The Hidden History of Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right, she explores the Koch system and what she sees as its ultimate aim, which is instituting policies that directly benefit Koch industries and protect it from the consequences of the widespread pollution it creates. So also, it's weird because it's it's also advancing the uh, libertarian ambitions or ideologies of the Koch brothers and their affiliates, but at the same time, it's helping their bottom line in, in a very easily provable way, <laughs> like a one-to-one match. If you look at if you look at how different members of the House of Representatives uh, vote or what they prioritize, and that's that's again that's legal. That's lobbying. It is, and it is certainly um, uh, heartening to think of it in those terms. The the way Jane Mayer describes it in in Dark Money, just about how, and it's kind of what we talked about before, just how the consequences of their actions in their industries and their the way they're attempting to free those up to do whatever they want to do, um, however long they want to do and however much they want to do, um, in the end, having those things also hurting the people that surround those industries. I mean, that is... Um, that, this is where we get into that territory. It really is dark money. It's it's scary. Right. Dark money is dark in that it is untraceable, right? Well, it's untraceable, but it's also like dark thematically. Like it's uh, 
I don't know. Not ev- evil is a strong word, but it's uh, it has ill intentions. Yeah, dark money typically does not refer to anonymous donors on a mission to give every kid a library within walking distance or you know free lunch. Yeah, or prevent any of those kids from ever developing prostate cancer. Right. Right. That's the issue. So there's this other journalist, Peter Overby, writing for NPR, and I like the way that he phrased this. It's also he's clearly coming from a uh, a specific stance, right? He says, quote, the Koch political network remains famous and infamous for its secret funding and fiercely negative advertising, which often aimed at then-President Barack Obama and other Democrats. Their group, Americans for Prosperity, was funded with Koch brothers' money as well as contributions from other rich donors they recruited. And although David Koch denied giving money to Tea Party candidates, in 2010, the Koch brothers' efforts helped the Republicans win a net gain of 63 seats in the House of Representatives. So, again, agree or disagree with the aims of those representatives, the aims of the Kochs. The point here, the takeaway here is that the system they created works. You know what I mean? The 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 secret seminars they have, which is a real thing, uh, the secret seminars they have do result in actionable plans and they do make a difference to your life if you live in the U.S. Well, they also were working to target specific uh, I guess you would say types of people within mm-hmm. the United States. Um, and they were doing this in a lot of different ways. Uh, but some of some of these groups aimed directly at veterans, some directly at senior citizens, at um, Latinos or women. And a lot of this stuff, it's strange how it would appear on the surface to not necessarily be political, like a lot of the ways that they would kind of get in the door. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. But but again, what we what we do know is that they were exploiting stuff. And this is a commonality that we'll see throughout a couple other things uh, with the Cokes, like um, loopholes in pollution standards with the EPA, loopholes in um, production standards, things like that. But uh, in this case, it was a lack of transparency within the U.S. law and also weak enforcement by the IRS. And uh, the Supreme Court had made some decisions in the past that created some serious loopholes or or at least places for abuse. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the other controversial causes, one of the big ones in the news today being climate change denial organizations. Examples of this would include funding studies and then directing those studies to to spin the perspective or spin the data, right? In an interview once upon a time, one of the Koch brothers argued that climate change was actually good for humanity and that it would create more arable land to grow food or that it would help drive innovation. It's really going to clear up Greenland for all the all the stuff we need to do on it. Finally, right? So the big question here, Why is there not more accountability or transparency for this web and others like it? I would also add a further question. If this is truly the right thing to do, if this is truly something for the greater good, then why does it need to occur in secret? Why does the money need to be dark if we are are helping humanity? You know what I mean? So It's more like a surprise for humanity. There we go. Well – Far be it for us to ruin a good surprise party, right? Mm-hmm. According to Mayer, it's because these groups are considered charities, so they don't need to disclose the names of their donors. 
And she describes them as uh, kinds of secret banks that affect American politics in a huge way without most people understanding who is behind them. Critics of the Koch's operation don't stop at calling it dark money. You'll hear them accuse the Koch brothers of everything from actively conspiring to subverting democracy to enacting a slow-motion, decades-long coup d'etat. God. And they certainly do, again, behave in a conspiratorial manner. A lot of the things that they support are things that the average U.S. resident would be against or have have some serious concerns about at the very least. Uh, the Koch brothers hold or held – the Koch organizations, better way to say it – held twice a year seminars. They are carefully, carefully hidden, sequestered, uh, quarantined from the public. The guest list and the substance of the conversation at hand are closely guarded secrets. At one point, they even erected white noise machines that created static facing the outside uh, due to concerns about people eavesdropping on what they're saying. And again, if what you're doing is the greater good, is, is the surprise that much more important than the substance of your actions? No, certainly not. Man, um, well, and here's the crazy thing. It's not just a, you know, a small group of influential people, right, who end up at these places, mm-hmm. who go to these seminars. There was a leaked guest list, and it was somewhere in the, in the realm of 400 to 450 people, and not just any people. We are talking about the wealthiest conservatives in America. And they get together, and they hang out. Who knows what they're doing? They could be swapping recipes. Mm -hmm. They could be planning, you know, strategic ways to use their gathered monies, their fortunes to, I don't know, influence politics, change the way we have to do things. Or it could all be quantum leap fanfic. You know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that is not beyond the the realm of possibilities. It's a a good show. Wow. (laughs) So – yeah, but that that's what that's what we know. We know the demo of the attendees and we know some of what what appear to be the results because we can see some other donations that these attendees make. And there's a fantastic write-up on this if you like more information about it. Uh again, a pretty biased source, but it's worth the read. It's called hightowerlowdown.org. And this I wasn't familiar with this source beforehand, yeah. but they have they have a pretty good walkthrough of the mechanisms yes. and some of the organizations that are the faces for these donations. Yes, but as a heads up, as and as Ben said, some of the language in there from the author is a little. You can feel it. You can feel the bias immediately and inherently. This author probably does not attend those twice a year meetings, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go out on a limb, Matt. I don't think I don't think this person is a fan. Yeah. Of the Coctopus. And one thing this author does point out that was intriguing for me was that they're they're really outlining the whole Citizens United changes to PACs and super PACs and viewing money as essentially a vote or or voting with your money, right? This concept of being able to make unlimited campaign donations to any candidate whatsoever for any reason. Um the the author equates that to essentially a coup 
within the United States. Yeah, and I believe the author of this is Jim Hightower who bills himself as America's number one populist. Oh, that's his picture at the top. <laughs> and he, uh, he is an author, public speaker, and self-described political spark plug. Uh, twice he w- was served as the Texas Agricultural Commissioner. So he definitely has a anti-corporate stance. Yeah. Just be aware of that. But with that in mind, they trace the nuts and bolts of the organiz- – of the Coctopus's functions uh, pretty well. And that's that's where we go. That's the thing. So when David Koch passed away, there were quite a few people on Twitter, on social media and the press and so on who were more or less uh, lauding, dancing on the guy's grave, happy that he was gone because they saw that as uh, – or our species saw that as – uh, a way to prevent further damage, right, or further enactment of these policies. The thing is, for everyone, everyone who is whistling in that particular graveyard, most of the people who are celebrating this guy's death are doing so because they object to the policies, the institutions, the machines that he helped create. And those machines, those policies, those institutions, they are alive and well. They are doing just fine. They are set to continue. The money is too good. We know a little bit about what comes next. Well, yeah, it's it's the succession thing we were talking about. Uh, According to the source Business Insider, there is somebody who is ready to take over the – heir to the throne, if you will, and it is David Koch's nephew. It's uh, his brother Charles' son, Chase Koch. He's at least being positioned, let's say, mm-hmm. as uh, being the one to take over next. But again, a- according to Business Insider, Chase has something different in mind. He wants to shift focus of the company away from a lot of these conservative politics, a lot of the um, things. Of, uh, he wants to shift away from support of a lot of the things that his uh, his uncle David had been wanting to do as well as his dad Charles. And apparently he isn't much of a fan of Donald Trump. Right. Well, uh, Charles Koch was not much of a fan of Donald Trump either uh, because, you know, the policies of the current administration have at times clashed with the ideologies of the Coke libertarianism, right? Oh, yeah. Open open uh, trade with everybody. Let's all exchange all of the money so that I can make more billions. Yes. Sorry, uh, that's putting it crudely, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the thing is that he is apparently trying to... Oh, how did Politico phrase it? They said, Chase Coke wants to steer the conservative juggernaut his family created toward a kinder, gentler libertarianism. Interesting. It sounds nice. But uh, what does that mean, kinder, gentler libertarianism? Uh, in addition to recruiting donors to the Koch network, uh, he's been doing things like anti-poverty initiatives. Uh, he's been trying to grow relationships with high-profile individual influencers. Deion Sanders from the NFL. Yeah. He's getting down with him uh, or he's trying to build – uh, some kind of bridge and, you know, guide their philanthropy so that they can work together and guide their philanthropy and toward causes that they're both concerned with. And so the steps that 
Chase Coke is taking or is uh, expected to take in the future are seen as separate uh, – drawing a brighter line between what they do and the mainstream Republican Party. And not all the donors are happy with this. They see the change as um, not 100 percent on board with why they got into the game in the first place. Still, again, Chase Coke may be driving the machine, but it's still the same machine. Maybe taking some different turns and some different routes, but it remains to be seen how different this will actually become. And there is, in this case, uh, an, an active conspiracy. It's inarguable. It's not a theory. The uh, the network created by the Koch brothers conspired through some backdoor things that were not very transparent, that were opaque. And they did this to bring their own uh, their own belief system into the mainstream and to do their best to push conversation and thought and public policy toward that. So it's a real conspiracy. The difference here or the, the big differentiation here is for some people that is, a, that is a conspiracy toward the greater good. For other people, that is a conspiracy to enrich the elite at the cost of not only every other living human being but the planet upon which those human beings live. Well, yeah, and and if if you look at this story individually, it's it's about a family consolidating power, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a single family, not just a whole bunch of uh, elite people out there. It's it's the Koch family, and when you have an heir coming through like Chase, who has been relatively unknown for forty two years or so, um, it's interesting to then thrust somebody like that into the spotlight and you know, have some some changes to what may happen or what the uh, forward-facing uh, ideology is of your conglomerate or whatever mm-hmm. because there is change in the air. Um, it, it's really interesting because it is just one small group of people who are all related by blood who are managing to have these massive waves within our culture and society. So what do you think, folks? Is this all on the up and up? Is this how the game is played? Is this exceptionally evil or unethical? And if so, whatever your answer may be, why? We'd love to hear from you. If you controlled, let's say, a $100 billion giant conglomerate, would you fight to uh, to have the rules and regulations put forth by the government in which you operate? Would you fight to have those weakened so that you could make more billions? Mm-hmm. Would you do that? I, I don't know. Put in that position – it feels like maybe we would if we knew that that money was all like for our family and for the future of our children. It's weird. It's a weird proposition. Well, again, you know, nobody thinks they're the bad guy. Nobody thinks they're the antagonist in the story. We're all the protagonists of our own stories. We all feel like we in general uh, know the best way to do something or have a good idea about how to go about it. So with that in mind, we also have to we also have to note that in a purely financial sense, a lot of organizations of this size are similar to sharks. They have to keep swimming. They have to keep eating. Otherwise, they will perish. I mean, that's the that's the part of the concept, right? 
And does that make it correct? I mean, absolutely not. No, but sharks are scary. <laughs> right, uh, right. But the, it's, I still think it's a good comparison. No, a lot I of sharks, know. Yeah. And sharks are scary. <laughs> sharks are scary. Uh, sharks are scary indeed. But yeah, we, we want to know what you think. And then additionally, if this is a little further away from the Coke conspiracy, but additionally, if you had, let's say, let's keep the stakes small, just $2 billion US, uh, what would you do what what can you think of doing that would have the largest long-term positive beneficial impact on humanity or the planet i would love to hear that let's yeah. just let's pitch each other ideas uh, matt maybe uh you and i mission control can get back in the booth next time and, and have a section where we suggest some of our own ideas yeah and why would you do that if you could just buy a dozen f-35a's <laughs> right. Good math, too. Uh, yeah, let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me personally on a few of those. I am at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram. Uh, but if you happen to find yourself in Facebook land, uh, why not stop on by, mosey on down to Here's Where It Gets Crazy, our group page where you can meet our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. Yeah, it's a great place to have discussions with other conspiracy realists about stuff, stuff like this. Uh, but if you want to write to us directly or talk with us directly, you can call our number. Again, we are 1-833-STDWYTK. Leave us a message. You might get on the air. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, but you still want to communicate with us, use our good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. 
because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.